0: Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at Uh, arborbridgechurch.com. That is most certainly... My prayer that, that 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 I know is true, but I want to feel is true in my heart. So, um, if you're a member of our church family um, and you like to to see her continue, um, I'd love for, to encourage you to. Uh, invest in her. Um, if you like to invest financially, you can do that by going to arborbridgechurch.com forward slash give. Um, you can also give, um, through the mail by uh, mailing your, uh, your investment to 2,500 South main street. And if you're here with us in person, um, there's a place in the lobby, little white box in the lobby that you can, uh, you can, put your investment in on your way out. I also wanted to bring up to you guys that, um, during the month through the month of October, I'll be asking you to participate in what I call, what we call a big give, um, at our, at our church, uh, our big gives are when we have a specific time during the year where we give to a specific cause or a specific person. Sometimes it's a, it's a specific need in our church family, um, during this month, I want to ask you to, uh, to invest in the ministry of the missionary that our church family supports, Keith Gaffner. Um, Keith and his wife, Grace, are missionaries in Kenya. Um, Keith has been, uh, been there about 30 years, which is an incredibly long time to, uh, to be on the mission field. Uh, he became a Christian um, and it was baptized in, at this church. Um, which is really cool. Uh, so we'd like to invest in his work, uh, to see people become better Jesus followers throughout throughout the world. So I wanted to share this from one of his recent newsletters that he shared uh, this summer. Um, he shared, he shared, he basically said that, um, uh, he had a friend who visited him in Kenya, um, and challenged, uh, challenged Keith and Grace, his wife, Grace, on how comfortable they were. Um, At the end of their time together, yeah, right. At the end of their time together, Keith said it was an honor for uh, for for him uh, to have his friend there, and um, he says this about him. He says he's a man who's going to step out, who's going to step out of the line, and think about what does the Lord want him to be or want him to do the last years of his life for the honor and glory of the Lord. It may be uncomfortable uncomfortable for him at times. And then he says this, I'm also challenged to become less comfortable in the latter years of my life for the Lord. Um, which I think is really, really compelling. Um, obviously, in America and our latter years of life, what we want to do is we want to retire. and We want to go to fun places and do fun things and, and be relaxed and be comfortable. Um, and he has basically set up his life so that he's, he's avoiding comfort or certainly um, not comfort for comfort's sake. Uh he is pursuing Christ hard. Um and I I'd love to just support him and do, do that as a church family. Uh he, he inspires he inspires me to uh follow hard after Jesus. So you can invest in Keith's ministry um, online, again, at arborbridgechurch.com forward slash give. Um, if, you, if you send a check through the mail or put one here, then just put Keith Gaffner in the, men, in the, in the memo. But um, online, there'll be like a drop down menu um, where you have to choose what fund you wanna to give to and the fund, you just pick uh, Keith Gaffner as your fund that you'd like to give, give to and that would be great. So I'd like, to, I'd like us as a church family to hit $2,500 by the end of the month. So pray about what God would have you invest in Keith's ministry as, he, uh, as he's challenging his comfort on the mission field uh, in Kenya. Um, I wanted to also uh, ask you to help with uh, something we call football parking. Um, during, the, uh, during the University of Michigan football season, we charge fans to park their cars um, in our parking lot during the games. And the money raised during football season helps our church to exist to be able to be the kind of church family we desire to be. So um, we need a small crew of volunteers to do that. If you haven't signed up to help with that, we would love that. We'd love your help. The next game, next home game is October 15th. And I think we, uh, we need one more person for uh, that game. Uh, there's one spot left. So you can go to uh, arborbridgechurch.com forward slash football and uh, sign up for, for that if you're, if you're willing to help with that. And again, it's, it's, just, it's another way to invest in our, our, uh, our church family um, and help us be able to, to do what we do and learn how to make disciples together. Um, so thank you for being willing to do that. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I want to begin with a prayer before I, before I go uh go any further. Um, dear Father, uh, only you can satisfy our soul. Only you can satisfy our soul. Only you can satisfy our soul. Help that to be our meditation. Help our minds to dwell on that. Help, wh- while while I'm, I, you know, I'm tempted to pursue other things that, that I think are going to satisfy my soul, help me to, to, to dwell on or come back to or be reminded of or have the words come back to my mind. Only you can satisfy our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so sometimes uh, when I think of politicians and celebrities and high-profile pastors, I see the terrible mistakes that they, that they make. And I imagine that I'm better than them uh, I, I think that if I was in their situation, I would never behave the way they're behaving. Um, and I, I, I think, uh, what, what I'm kind of saying is that if I had the amount of pressure on me that they have on them, or if I had the money that they have, or if I had the lack of accountability that they have, then I would make very wise choices and I would not make the mistakes that they make. And uh, I would have the character to be the kind of person that we all, you know, think that we can be. We, we could be a good person. Um, and it's easy for me, you know, it's easy for us when you see somebody doing something terrible um, that's famous or popular or whatever. It's easy for you know, us to be like, oh, I would never do that. Or I, I hate that guy or whatever. It's interesting that while Jesus, is, um, Jesus was here on earth, his closest followers thought this way too. They, they, they thought they were... Um, they thought they were pillars of integrity, um, incapable of doing evil, uh, doing, you know, incapable of doing wicked things. Um, they thought other people would betray God, or betray Jesus, but they would say, yeah, I would never do that. Um, and in fact, one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter said, I may have to die with you but I will never say, I don't know you. And, by, and what he implied also is I will never say or, or do anything that would communicate, I don't know you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. So last week we began a new series called Graduation Day. I mean, I introduced the concept that teachers of all kinds um, are preparing their students for a graduation day. Um, a day when um, they, you know, they, they finish their time in school and they're prepped for life and they can go out and make money or do the things that, that they've been trained to do. Um, our church leadership wants to, to teach and strengthen you towards a spiritual graduation day. Our church leadership thinks about that. We pray about that. We want to strengthen and prepare you for a graduation day that's most certainly coming. Um, I I shared with you guys last week that spiritual graduation days aren't just, they don't just happen once. They happen over and over and over again. They're the day when each of us have to put to the test what we say we believe, what we say we've learned, what we say we're all about. We're all about Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy my soul. We said that we sung that. But then your your graduation day is when you put that to the test. Is that real? Or so when you're facing a, a, a situation where if you lie, you can save yourself money. What will you do? That's a graduation day. Um, when you're facing a situation or you have the opportunity to be holy, and holy in your romantic relationships, will you, will you, you know, that's a great graduation day. What will you do in that situation? Will you be holy or will you not be? When you face trouble or challenges in your life, will you have the wisdom to do what you want to do? And will you have the strength to carry it out? You know, those are your graduation days. Those are your days where, you, where you're, you're graduating from, from this, this, these ideas that are just thoughts to playing them out and being the people that Christ calls us to be. And, and here's the thing, here's the thing for all of us. Your next graduation day is coming. It's coming. Your next test is coming. Whether you're ready for it or whether you're not, will you be prepared for it? God wants, each of us to be ready to face whatever's coming, the things that we don't even know about, whatever's coming into our life with strength and with wisdom. And I'll be honest and say, I am not always ready for my graduations. I am not. But in this series, I want to share a few things with you that have helped me be more ready. Um, The first thing I want to share with you to be ready for your next graduation day is this. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness is the doorway to hope. It's the only shot you have to pass some of the graduation tests that are coming. That are coming for you now. Jesus' disciples were absolutely, it is, when you read the Gospels, it is almost laughable except it's tragic. How Confident they were that they were so ready for their graduation day. But as Jesus is being arrested, he makes it clear that he's not going to fight. He's not going to fight these guys. He's just going to let them arrest him. Then everyone, everyone left him and ran away. In fact, a young man was following Jesus The man was wearing nothing but a piece of linen cloth. When the crowd grabbed him, he ran away naked. He left his clothing behind. Now, you must have really wanted to get away, right? The disciples failed Jesus incredibly, just magnificently. Their failure is is huge. How could people be so confident that they were ready and they would be successful. How could, they, how could people who were that confident fail so miserably? It was their failure to understand how hopeless it is to put their confidence in their character or, or how hopeless it is to put their confidence in the, in the sureness of their righteousness. It, how hopeless it is to be so sure that you are like this pillar of integrity. They were so, so sure that they would do the right thing that they're not ready. They're not ready. The first tool in preparing for your graduation day is embracing hopelessness. is embracing it, is, is hugging it close. Pastor and author David Tripp says it this way. He says, "Hopelessness is the doorway to hope. You have to give up on yourself before you will be excited about the hope that is yours in Christ Jesus. Until I'm, until I'm willing to face this, I tend to think, I've got it together. No, I, no, 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 I don't need any help. Um, and I've, I've got the answers. No, I'm gonna be able to, I'm gonna be able to I'm, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I'm a good person. I'll do what's right. Yeah, no, 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 I don't, I don't need you to tell me what's right. I, I know, I know, I know. Jesus once said this, he said, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So in our church family, we've talked about this many, many times. Um, we, 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 we talked about how compared to the rest of the world, we're all rich, we're all rich. Like when, and typically what we like to do you know, is we, we, we like to say, well, they're rich, but I'm not rich. But in, 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 when you make a meal and at the end of the meal, you have leftovers that you get to put away into the refrigerator. That means you're rich compared to the rest of the world. That means you're rich. So most certainly, most certainly, this is a warning for us. Here's why Jesus says this. Here's why Jesus says this. And we, we all know this. Our wealth can keep us from feeling hopeless, right? Our wealth can, can keep us from feeling desperate. I mean, we don't, we've never known desperate. Most of us have never known desperate. But it's not just, it's not just wealth, right? If you're really smart or you're naturally very self-disciplined, or when you're, very, uh, when you're very athletic, or when you're super creative, or when you've got lots of charisma, or, or when you've been very successful, all of those things, all those things to work to make us feel like, oh, yeah, I can, I got this. I can do this. This one's on me. I'll make this happen. I don't need any help. That is why it is so dangerous that is why it is so, so very dangerous. It turns, our meditation shifts from God to ourselves, and we make much of ourselves in our mind. And our hope shifts from God into ourselves, and our ability to take care of ourselves and to make things happen. And it's so, so dangerous. And it sets us up, it sets us up so when your next graduation day comes, for us to fail so miserably like crazy because we're so confident. That's why Jesus gives this warning. That's, what he's, that's why he's saying this out loud. And here's the thing. And I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Unfortunately for me, for me, The only way that I can be broken of a hope in myself is God allowing me to go to places where I can't get myself out of sometimes. Or or the the only way that I can be broken of my hope in myself is God grabbing by the arm and escorting me to the place that is going to be painful. And for me to say, okay, whoa, I can't do this one. I can't do it. And I don't want to go. I don't want to go to that place. I wish I could could learn a different way. The ancient ancient Israelites lived in Egypt about um, 1800 years before Jesus was born. And while they're living in Egypt, um, the Egyptians become intimidated by them and they turn them into slaves. Egypt is a superpower at that time. They're the superpower in the world. Um, their leadership, Egypt's leadership is afraid of losing that power. So in order to keep the power, um, they they decided that the way we should do this, the best way we could do it is, is enslave a whole people group. Um, And uh, imagine that, imagine, imagine what that's like. The Israelites are living in Egypt. They're going about their business, they're minding their own business. And then one day this, somebody makes an announcement. Hey, if you're Jewish, you're a slave now. (laughs) That's mind boggling. I, I don't think it's very far off to think, uh, for us to think of the pictures and the emotion that we have around World War II and the things that happened to Jewish people then. I, I don't think it's that far off. The Egyptians do everything they can, everything possible to drain the dignity of the Jews, um, to drain their physical strength, their will to fight, their, their human dignity. What, just, just one example. They force them to take all their boys and throw them into the river. No, throw them into the river. Every boy that's born, they, they have to throw in the river. And, you know, if I'm, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do that. If you were in that culture and you didn't do that and you go, you're walking around with your baby boy, you would be in so much danger, so much danger. It would, it would be, it would, if you can picture or think what it would be like to be in World War II Germany hiding Jews. You wouldn't walk outside. Here's my Jewish friend. I mean, it was dangerous. If you got caught with the baby boy, you, your family could be put to death. So, it's a scary time to be a Jewish person, uh, Jewish person in Egypt. Every Jewish person was a slave. The Bible says this it says, and the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields and their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So all my Bible scholars in the room, you know that when the Bible uses repeats words really close to each other, it's for emphasis, it's telling you yeah, I know I what know comes to your mind when you think of the word ruthless, but I want you to think past that. He's saying, these guys are really ruthless because they're super ruthless. The high in Cairo, Egypt today is supposed to be 102. So imagine working in fields with somebody who can't stand you over you all day long in 102 degree heat throughout the book of Exodus is repeated over and over again that there's lights are groaning and crying out and suffering. It's awful, awful situation. After years and years of them crying out to God, God is described as hearing their cry and seeing their misery. Uh, and my question is this: My question is this. As I was getting ready for this conversation, I was, uh, here's my question: Why do you take so long? What, what's take, what, what took so long? Right? Uh, where have you been? God, after years, God shows up and says, Okay, I've heard your crying. Did you, you didn't hear the crying before? what took so long for you to get here? What are you waiting for? That's that's my, again, if I was in that situation, that would be my question. I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're here, but where have you been? These guys have been awful to us. When I get ready for this message, here's my conclusion. Why it took God so long. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness in themselves and hope in Christ, in Christ alone. God says, I want to take you. He shows up he says, I want to take you to the best, best, most beautiful place you've ever been. But I can't take you there if you're depending on yourself. If you think you're smarter than me. If you think you can do this on your own. If you're so independent Um, God says I need you to approach this with a sense of hopelessness I, I don't I don't I don't know all the reasons that God allows the nation of Israel to be enslaved by Egypt but I know one thing he's using it for and it is hopelessness It is hopelessness hopelessness sake. Just a few short weeks after God gets involved and he's been able to, uh, to get the ruler of Egypt to release the nation, the, the whole nation of Israel from slavery. And, I, and you should just pause and think about that for a second. Uh, in a few short weeks, God gets the, gets, gets the king of Egypt to release a whole, his whole workforce. He says, okay, you guys can go. That's the miracle. Uh, do you, if you think about it, think about what, what would it have taken to get the south to release all the slaves before the civil war happened like what what, what would have had to happen for that to happen like you, you can't imagine anything happening that would make that happen there there's nothing that was gonna that God's able to do this in a matter of weeks so miraculous nothing short of a miracle and then you know it's, it's definitely a miracle because once the ruler of Egypt begins to uh, to think about What he's losing, he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What did I just do? I let all these, I let my workforce go. He changes his mind and chases the Israelites all the way to the Red Sea. And so the Israelites are in this hopeless situation. If you can imagine what the the map looks like, the Red Sea, you know, a huge Red Sea is is on this side. And from this side, the Egyptian army is coming to the Israelites and the Israelites are in the middle. So they have nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. They have nowhere to run. It's a hopeless situation. They're trapped. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians. They were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. That's it, right? That's where God wants to lead you. You're like, I don't, I don't want to go there. That is where God wants to lead you right up to the Red Sea so that when your graduation day is happening, something terrible is coming, it, you are terrified and your first reaction is to cry out to the Lord. That's your first reaction. Your first reaction is to cry out to the Lord. I'm gonna be honest. Um, I don't often feel hopeless. I don't. Often, it takes it takes God a lot to put me in that situation where I'm like, "Oh man, I can't do this." I don't often feel that way. But I've begun to want to feel that way. or, or, or at least want to have a knowledge of it. I, I, I honestly, I don't want to have to feel that way. I, I want I want to be able to put that knowledge in the back of my mind and I and be able to say, "Okay." I know I'm hopeless apart from God. I don't want to, don't, don't take me there. I don't want to have to feel it. Don't make it hard. I don't want any of that. Could you just help me remember? Only you can satisfy. Help me remember that. I want to hold it in my mind so that maybe, just maybe, he won't have to take me somewhere where I get to feel it. <laughs> my friend, Elise, and my daughter Silver and I, we were reading another story of a king in the Bible. The king is being attacked by three different nations. The three different nations get together and they say, hey, let's attack that guy. And they're, so they're grossly outnumbered. Um, this is a terrible situation. Uh, they, they. Here's what he says. He begins to pray. He says this, he prays this. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. First, I love that he's, he's being attacked and his, and his reflex is to pray. We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. I love that that rhymes, right? Because then you can remember it. Because I think I need to say that more often. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Hopeless situation. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Part of God's purpose in allowing this to happen is hopelessness. He wants them to feel hopeless in their ability to get out of this. And he doesn't need the smartest person in the room. He doesn't need the person who thinks they a solution to everybody's problem. He needs people who understand how teeny tiny, fragile, little, small, powerless they are in the universe. He needs people who have shifted their hope from themselves to him. Is that you? It's hard to do. I mean, it's very hard to do as long as you think that there's a chance that, you know, I can do this on my own. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So the Israelites are trapped. The Egyptians on one side, the Red Sea on another side. They don't, they're trapped. And God saves the Israelites from the Egyptians in a most miraculous way. Um, You can read all about that in uh, Exodus 14 if you'd like to see how God rescues the peoples. Interesting story. Um, Two months after that miraculous rescue, two months after that, two months after leaving Egypt, the Israelites run out of food. They're only two months out of slavery, two months out of misery. And they begin complaining. And here's what they say. And here's what they say. Um, they say, "We wish we had never left Egypt." Can you imagine that? Isn't it, that that kind of blows my mind? Um, they, I don't think it's, it's an understatement to 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 say the the what they experienced in Egypt was ridiculous human treatment that would make all of us horrified. They're two months out of that. They run out of food and they're like, man, we should have just stayed in Egypt. That would have been way better. They've been way better than this. I think it's incredible. Incredible. Slaves under extremely cruel conditions and they want, they at one point, at one point, during their time in the, their time after they left Egypt, at one point, they even make a plan to choose a leader amongst them to lead them back to Egypt. They say, you know what? We're done. We're done with this following God thing. We want to go back to where we were slaves. And it was incredibly cruel that we, we begged God to come save us. We want to go back there. We want to go back to that place. Incredible, incredible. So let's consider this again. Let's consider this, consider this question again. Why did God take so long to rescue the Israelites from slavery? Why did he take so long? Hopelessness. He wanted them to have no other options. He wanted, he had, they, he, Knew who they were. He wanted them while they're begging and crying and say, "Please, God, save us." He needed them to be in that position. Think about this. I want you to think about this for just a second. Imagine if their experience in Egypt had been good, like they had everything they wanted, and it, God wanted them to take them to another place. But imagine that when they're in Egypt, that everything was nice. Everything was what they were. They would have never left, right? <laughs> they would have been. They would, God was show up and say, okay, I'm here to rescue you guys, to take you to the other place. And you are like, we're not going anywhere. No way. I mean, we know that's true because God makes their, he lets their lives be miserable. And then he says, okay, I'll come and save you. And then they get over here and then they're like, hey, we want to go back. What? You want to go back? In order for God to get them to even consider following them they had to feel hopeless and there was no other option and even then they still talked about going back to the terrible life they had known before the very life they begged God to rescue them from let me say this and there's lots of discomfort about what I'm about to say but I think it's true I think it's true. God uses hard things in our life for his glory. Super uncomfortable, super awkward, but he leverages them to get us the place. We're finally willing, finally, finally, finally willing to say, okay, okay, I'll follow you now. And not only that, step further. I'll speak for myself, so maybe this will be less offensive. Sometimes I'm sure that God has even created instigated difficult situations in my life to make me feel hopeless so that I'll finally surrender and say, okay, we'll do it your way. We'll do it your way. I'm done fighting. I can't do this. I'm hopeless without you. I'm hopeless without you. And look for you to just pause for a moment. Look for you to just pause for a moment. What difficult thing has God, and we'll we'll, we'll be gracious and generous and just say allowed. What difficult thing has God allowed into your life that he may want to use for your own Hopelessness. Hopelessness is the doorway to hope. Hopelessness is the doorway to hope. And while, because we're human and we see the hard things that are happening, we think, oh, those things are bad. But hopelessness is the doorway to hope. What, what are you facing in your life that God wants to use to get you to abandon your hope in yourself? so that you can put your hope in him. Take a few seconds to think about that. Uh, a trend I don't like is when a famous leader falls, then all of a sudden, um, now you can't, uh, you can't quote him anymore. Now you have to throw all our books away. Um, like, because she's failed, now that means that everything else she said is irrelevant or, you know, it's not true anymore. Uh, I think that's a mistake. late author and speaker, Ravi Zacharias, used to say this. The loneliest moment in life is when you've just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has let you down. Maybe for our purposes today, we could say it like this. The most hopeless moment in life is when you've just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate, and it has just let you down. For those of you guys who know Robbie Zacharias' story, maybe he knows this better than most, most of us, because of his failures. God wants to use those moments when we feel lonely and hopeless to point us to Himself himself if you're able to do that then when the graduation moment happens when that time comes when you're put to the test when you have to stand up for your faith when you have to say what you don't want to say when you have to execute something that you don't want to do you will be ready you will be ready so The ultimate graduation day for all of us will be when we stand before God. And he asks us this question. He says, what did you do with my son, Jesus? Jesus lived the life we could never live. He died the death death that we should have died. And now he offers us the hope of a new life. Our sin has made the idea of being righteous out of reach. It is hopeless for us to be sinless, sin free on our own. But Jesus greatly desires to give us the hope in him. And he wants to use, you know, use whatever you're facing to point, point, point you to him. So our first step is to admit our hopelessness, to, uh, to save ourselves, to say, I'm hopeless to save myself, to admit it, to live into it, to lean into it, to hug it close. And, and then your next is to turn to him. So you, you can say something like this. You can say, Jesus, I'm a hopeless without you. Would you please save me from my sin and from myself? And again, it's hard for us in America to say that because we got so many things protecting us. Jesus, I am hopeless without you. We, we, we bristle towards words when I, to, for me to even say, I am hopeless. Ugh, I don't, Jesus, I am hopeless without you. Would you please save me from my sin and from myself? In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together today. It's a time where we remember and we think about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So as we take communion together, um, if you didn't get communion elements, they're out in the lobby um, as you walked in. As we take communion together, um, I wonder if you would let him show you what he wants you to do next. Would you, would you start by praying, Jesus, would you save me from my sin and from myself? Say, Jesus, I'm hopeless without you. Would you save me from my sin and myself? Jesus, I'm hopeless without you. Would you save me from my sin and myself? What do you want me to do next? Let's pray together and then take communion together. Dear Father, we all understand that our, there that our, are that our, tests, graduation days coming our way as we speak. Things that, that you know, if, if we experienced them today, maybe we, wouldn't be, we, we would not be ready for. We wouldn't be ready for, but we want to be. And you want, you want us to be. I pray, I pray that, that today as we, uh, as we take communion together, you would help us to live into and embrace our hopelessness To be be fully confident and comfortable with, yes, saying out loud, yes, I am hopeless, but I am not hopeless apart from Christ. Our hope is in you. And when our hope is in you, then we find incredible, eternal, infinite hope. Way better than the tiny, teeny hopes that we we are putting in ourselves and our own strength. Help us. Help us to do that today. Help us to transfer our hope in ourselves to our hope in you. As we admit, Jesus, I'm hopeless without you. And as we ask, would you please save me from my sin and myself? In Jesus' name, amen.